Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. My dear friends in Christ, it does seem at the outset that these three things have nothing to do with one another. If you were to cause one to sin, it's better to have a millstone tie around your neck and forgive your brother seven times, right? If you had a grain of mustard seed, well, you could say to the tree, throw yourself into the sea and it would do it. And if you command your servant to sit down next to you and eat, or do you command your servant to do his job and go forward and then finally they can eat, they can partake of the master's goods. These have really seemingly nothing to do with each other. But I would argue that there is something that is interwoven in here, and we're going to explore it. But first, I have to ask you this question. Don't you feel a little bit bad about yourself when you hear these words? If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could command a tree to be thrown into the sea. You ever thrown a tree into the sea by your command? Okay, let's not maybe start with a tree. Have you ever commanded a small pebble to be thrown into the sea? And maybe not the sea. Let's just say Lake Michigan or the creek near your house. Don't you feel a little bit bad when you hear this? And you go, I don't have faith that's that size because I've never been able to do that. I mean, I would love for things just to happen, and, the, and then they do, right? I, I want to say it, and then the world kind of bends to my reality. And Jesus says, if I have faith the size of a mustard seed, which you guys all know this, that's the smallest seed, at least the one that they would all focus on back in Israel. And they would plant it in the ground, and that mustard seed would start to grow, and it would grow into such a massive plant that all the birds and the animals of the forest could come and make their nest and their dens underneath it. And everyone would be happy. That small little thing grows into something that is so much larger. And don't you feel bad? I don't think that we understand what's going on in this passage as much as we often would like to think this. Because Jesus is not saying, if you could make your faith even the size of a mustard seed. He's not saying, it's up to you to do it. Can I tell you something about faith? Faith is a gift from God. And faith is the exact same thing given to each and every one of us. The faith that you have is the very same faith that I have is the very same faith that all believers in Christ have. Faith does not come in differing amounts or different trusts or different sizes. You have been given faith in your baptism. You have been delivered Faith to receive the grace of God. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, right? If your faith were somehow different from one another, or if your faith were somehow more deficient than another's faith, then that means God messed up. If your faith is deficient, 
defective, defunct, then somehow that means God messed up. It is not something within us that changes faith, this gift from God. It's not. It is our trust in that faith that ebbs and flows. So when Jesus says, if you had faith like the grain of mustard seed, that faith that trusts that when it is planted in the ground, it will come back up. That faith that says, I believe my Lord. Then you could command the tree to throw itself into the sea. The idea here is Jesus is looking at the apostles' demand. Increase our faith. It's a prayer, sure, but it's a commanding prayer. Do this. And Jesus basically points out to them, you don't know what you're asking for. Because if I just increased your faith, well, guys, that's not how faith works. Faith is that gift from God that trusts in him. But it is our relationship to God that kind of tells us how much trust we have. When we're in the hard times, we need to rely more and more upon him. When the trials and tribulations of this world come to us, when the persecutions and martyrdoms begin to happen, we must rely upon our God. And the more we go through it, the more indeed we will see our God for who he is. Our faith has not changed, but our trust in him has. Jesus looks at the apostles and says, if you knew what you were asking for, well, you would have kept your mouth shut. Because then he tells them, it's a parable, it's a teaching. Which of you goes to his master and after a long day of work and has the master say to him, come and eat with me? Not one of you. Instead, you go to your master when the day is done and the master says, now come and serve me. Make sure you wash, make sure you dress, make sure you serve, make sure you attend to my every need. And finally, when I'm done, then you may go down and sit and you may have your meal. Jesus, in this way, is putting the apostles into their place. You don't command God to do something that is against his nature. But what is God's nature? And this is where the very first thing comes up. For who can forgive sins but God himself? When you forgive the sins of your brother, no matter how many times it may happen to you, well, this is a gift of God also. For it is not out of your nature that you forgive the sins of a person, but it is out of the nature of God and the grace that has been granted to you that you might forgive someone their sins. All right, so we kind of have a flow here, right? Where faith is a gift, you don't command the master to make the gift something different, but look to what the master's given you. All right, so we have this, but what does it all mean? Because it's one thing to kind of state all of this is what it means. But I'd like to apply this to you a little bit homiletically, meaning through the sermon. So, here's the deal. 
I would like for you to imagine for a moment that Jesus himself is not the master, but that he is the one who has come to serve. He looks at you, and he comes to you at the end of all of his work, and he says, now what more may I do for you? Christ Jesus came to this world to take on your flesh, to go to the cross after living a perfect life, to die for your sins, to give you his righteousness, to rise from the dead, that he might give to you the promise of everlasting life, and now comes to you even this day and says, what more may I do for you? Not in that kind of condescending way, well, what more could you want me to do for you? But a sincere request. What else is there that I may do to please you, the one whom I am serving? Jesus puts himself in the place of the servant. Jesus himself is the one who gives to you what it is that you have required. And what is it that you have required? Well, I think in our hearts we're tempted to say things like, well, I would like a bigger checkbook. I'd really love my back to stop hurting in the morning when I wake up. I'd like my knees and my wrists and my fingers to stop hurting when I wake up in the morning. In fact, I would just like to not feel pain anymore in the morning when I wake up, or on top of that, maybe when I go to bed too. I can maybe deal a little bit during the day. Or maybe it's I wish my kids called me more. Or maybe it's, I wish my loved one had not died. Or it could be any number of millions of things that you look at Jesus and you say, I want this, I want this, I want this. And it's not bad to go to Jesus with these requests. It's not. Some things he will not do, not because he's not your servant, but because it's not for your good. Just as a servant would not serve you a cup of poison, so too would Jesus not serve you the same. And while you may never know that what is in a certain cup is actually poisonous, your Jesus knows these things. And so he may not bring to you what it is that you desire from him because it is not good for you. And it may be that he does grant your desires. But what is it that you go and you say, this is what I want now? In this case, as Jesus tells this pseudo-parable, what is it that you should be saying, this is what I want now? Look at the servant. What has he done? He's gone out, he's plowed the fields, he's kept the sheep, he's come in from the field, and now he says, or the master says to him, now come and serve me. And you think that that's bad. It's not bad. That's the relationship between a master and a servant. This is how it should be. And when Jesus is putting you in the master's position, you say to Jesus, now come and serve me. What do you want? He's done his work. What do you want? What does the master want? Now come and serve me. And so the the servant comes down and does what? Gives him the shower in the middle of the living room? No, of course not. That's just silly. Servant comes in and decides to drive the car from the garage right through the foyer? No, that's just silly. The servant does what the master expects. Jesus does for you what you should be expecting. The master expects his dinner. 
so too do you expect your feast. The work of Christ is done, and now he serves you yet again through word and sacrament, giving to you himself, giving to you the very forgiveness that he has won for you through the hearing of his word as we've read it, as we've prayed it, as we've sung it. And the sacrament, one, as you remember your baptism, and two, as you are about to imbibe on the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the strengthening of your faith, this is indeed what you have from Christ. Now think about that. Word and sacrament strengthen your faith. They don't change your faith. They don't modify your faith. They strengthen it. When the apostles come to Jesus and they command for him to increase our faith, they want something. Something that is not necessarily his to give. They want more faith. What Jesus has just said to them is a hard saying. When your brother sins against you, even seven times in the day, doing the same thing over and over. And they say, I repent. You forgive them. You don't get a choice. That is hard. Has that ever happened to you? Seven times in a day, the same thing over and over and over, like the person is stupid and doesn't get it. But here, Jesus says, forgive them. And the apostles cry out, increase our faith. They might as well be saying, this is really, 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 really hard, and I can't do this. So while they command Jesus using the wrong words, Jesus gives them what they're going to need by teaching them his word. He increases their trust in who he is and what he's about to do, and in your case, what he's done, so that you can have the strength to do this very thing. Because you are to be about the work of God. The work of the servant is the work of the master. Think of it in context of today. If it were not for the employees, the master would not be able to run a business. The boss would not be able to run a business. And if it were not for the boss, the employees would not be able to work. And this is a symbiotic relationship, each depending on the other. What Jesus is saying is that the servant's work is the master's work. What the servant is about, the master has given them to do. And so if Jesus is placing himself in the point of the servant to be about the forgiveness of sins, this is what you should be focusing on as well. Your sins are forgiven. How can you withhold a hand of forgiveness from anybody else? Your sins, which are so great against God, has been won by Jesus Christ. How can you withhold forgiveness from anyone else? You see what Jesus is getting at. It's not about how good you are, how strong you are, what you can do. It's all about what he has done for you. And what has he done? He's won for your forgiveness. He's won for you life. He's won for you salvation. He has won for you all good things. That's what he's done. That's what the servant of God does. 
And that is what we do then. We who have been changed, we who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit in faith toward Christ, we have been given this gift. And so we go out and we use it appropriately. We look at the Master Jesus and we say, we are not worthy of being called this. And yet he doesn't disdain to give you this title. And he gives you an even better one. One where there is no division between servant and master anymore. He calls you friend. For a friend, he laid down his life. For a friend, he won for you all things. You are indeed his friend. And yet still we are to be about the master's business. When we can't do it, when it's so hard for us, we want to cry out to God, increase our faith, give me what we want, make it easier for me to get through this. And Jesus looks at you and says, you don't know what you're asking for. Instead, come to a place where I will serve you. I will give you strength. I will give you what you need to survive. When you can't do it, and you never will be able to do it, come to me, all of you who are weak, all of you who are sinners. I will give you what you need in this place. And so it is good that you have gathered here this morning to hear his word and receive his sacrament, that you might indeed be strengthened to go out and do what it is that you are required to do by the gospel of Christ, which is to forgive as you have been forgiven. Find that strength here this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.